For one of the best deals in town, swing by Walters for brunch. For just $20, you can add bottomless Bloody Marys, mimosas, Trulies, and Bud Lights with a purchase of an entree. On Saturday, Euro matches of Wales, Denmark, and Italy, Austria. Saturday night, Walters is showing the Tank Davis-Mario Barrios pay-per-view fight. Sunday, the round of 16 in the Euros gets going. Make your reservation for a busy weekend at waltersdc.com slash reservation. When you do come to Walters, make sure to check out their spicy chicken. Cold beer, a great sandwich with fries, and a big screen TV is a tough combo to beat. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And into the wine, Poteet delivers, breaking ball, swung on, and ripped deep down the right field line, toward the corner, going, going, and gone, goodbye! A game leadoff home run again for Kyle Schwarber. Poteet, first base side of the rubber sense. Kicks and fires, and Schwarber swings and drives, going to deep center. Marte going back, way back at the wall, it is gone, goodbye! A three-run homer for Kyle Schwarber. Zoom, he's done it again. Home run number 21. Ross is 0-1. Swinging a ground ball to the second baseman. Harrison has it to Turner for one, to Zim for two, and it's another double play for the Nationals. They've turned three tonight. One strike him out, throw him out double play. Two ground ball double plays. And Joe Ross finishes off seven shutout innings down in Miami. And welcome to Nat Chat for Friday, June 25th, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. It was just a little more than two weeks ago that the Nats reached their season low point of nine games below 500. A 3-1 loss at the Tampa Bay Rays on June 8th dropped the Nats to 24-33. and Oh, what a difference just a few weeks make. And oh, what a difference a bunch of Kyle Shore bombs make. The Nationals now are back at 500. The winning streak is at five. The Nationals get to 36 and 36, a 7-3 win at the Miami Marlins on Thursday night in game one of a four-game series. Two more. Kyle Schwarber home runs. Round and round the Schwarber bombs go. When they will stop, who the heck knows? Mark, this is an incredible run by both the team and the player. I've seen this from the team before, Al. You may remember this a couple of years ago, and even there have been a few other streaks during their history. I have not seen anything on an individual level like what we're now seeing from Kyle Schwarber. And I think that's what makes us so special 
is not just that he's putting these ridiculous numbers up and that he's just hitting homers at will, especially in the first inning, but that it's having such an impact on the team's fortunes. I mean, he is, I know the pitching staff's been good. That's been a big part of it. But really, like if you could calculate what his war over the last two weeks is, it's, it's off the charts. Like he is so responsible for what this team has done over the last two weeks. And you can tell that that's what means a lot to him too. That if he was doing this on a losing team, it would not mean that much to him. He'd, he wouldn't be happy about it. But because he's contributing to wins the way that he is, he's having the time of his life. They're all having the time of their lives right now. So before we get to the specifics of the game, I mean, we have seen Nationals players get white hot before. Bryce Harper could get white hot. Anthony Rendon could get white hot. Ryan Zimmerman has had his surges. Adam Dunn had his surges. And maybe we're prisoners of the moment right now. I don't know that any Nats player has ever been hotter than Kyle Schwarber is right now. What he is doing here, where every game he's homering, many games it's a multi-homer output, Two more bombs in this win on Thursday night. Kyle Schwarber is slaying pitching 12 home runs in 13 games. I mean, you tell me, is it wrong to say that this is the hottest a Nationals hitter has ever been? From a power standpoint, yes, 100%. You know, there have been some stretches where, you know, I can think of Juan Soto, Daniel Murphy at times, even Bryce Harper during his MVP season, where every at bat is electric and quality at bat and doubles and singles, the occasional home runs too. I mean, in Schwarber's case, he only has one non-home run since Saturday night. Now he's got eight homers in that time. He's like nine for 20 with eight homers. That's like bizarre in itself. And you know, you could look at in this particular game, he struck out twice. So it's not like every single at bat is off the charts great. But when he makes contact, he is hitting the ball a mile. And I don't ever remember anyone with this team doing that. And I think it's almost getting to a point where you have to start looking at things like Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa in 1998, Barry Bonds in his prime, where you're almost expecting home runs. And when he doesn't do it, you're disappointed. That's a crazy thing to say. But what he's doing right now, look at historically, there aren't very many guys who've done this in this short of a burst as he's doing right now. It's nuts. And, you know, with the Nationals offense as bad as it's been this season, You do see now, all it took was for like one guy to catch fire, and the offense isn't that bad. You know, it's, it's, I mean, it's not perfect, clearly, but it's like he's really the only guy who's flying right now. I mean, Trey Turner's been good lately, and he's, he's having a good season, but like, this is really what was needed someone to catch fire. And Kyle Schwarber has caught fire and then some, and the Nationals are winning. It's no coincidence that the Nationals' rise coincides with the rise of the Shore Bombs. And here we are now, Nats are back at 500 on the season. So for Schwarber in this 7-3 win at the Marlins on Thursday night, two for four with two homers a walk, four runs batted in. Both homers coming off the Marlins starter, Cody Poteet, who will be having nightmares about Kyle Schwarber for at least the next six to eight weeks. Kyle Schwarber, top of the first, blasting a leadoff homer on a bomb to right field despite having been down in the count at one point, one, two, the homer going a projected 398 feet for StatCast. This is already Schwarber's fifth leadoff homer in a first inning this season. That's already second for most first inning leadoff homers by a national in a season since the franchise came to DC. Only Alfonso Soriano in 2006 had more at nine. 
And then came the even more impressive home run the next inning. It's not like this happened, you know, fifth inning, sixth inning, eighth inning. No, second inning, Kyle Schwarber homers again, four runs second inning, smashing a two-out, three-run shot to dead center on an 0-2 pitch. I'm telling you, Poteet will not sleep for months here. The home run going 414 feet per stat cast. Uh, Two more bombs. You've got this leadoff thing going on. We're in these first innings. It feels like he can't be stopped. And then, of course, with Schwarber, there's always the distance factor and what he's able to do. That shot to dead center in the top of the second inning, that was something else. Poteet went patoot on those two. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, wow. That second one, I agree. That that was right up there with any of his homers this season. Dead center field. And Marlins Park, whatever it's called now, it starts with a lowercase letter. I'm not even going to say it is not an easy place to hit home runs. I've seen way too many balls off the bat there that you just assume are going out and they're caught at the warning track. It happened to Ryan Zimmerman in this game, and it reminded me of a few years ago when Zim had a string of those that he thought should be home runs and they weren't, and there's a great meme of him out there saying, I hate this bleeping place because it robs him of so many homers. So for Schwarber to have these no doubters, I mean, the first one is down the right field line. I think it maybe was the second deck. I couldn't even tell from the camera angle. And then the second one, essentially like off the batter's eye in dead center field, these are titanic home runs. He can do no wrong right now. And I mean, just what what a lift this is for the team. You mentioned, and I agreed with you, I, I thought all along, because they're losing games by one run, two runs, it may just take one guy getting hot. I just thought it was going to be Juan Soto. I was not expecting it to be Kyle Schwarber, and I certainly wasn't expecting it to be him out of the leadoff spot. And here's the amazing thing. Yeah, there's a lot of these leadoff solo homers. He's had some three-run homers as well. So that's a credit to the guys at the bottom of the lineup getting on base and actually giving him a chance to do it. And then the second part of this is you would say, hey, a guy who's hit 12 homers in 13 games, why is he getting any pitches to hit? The reason he's getting pitches to hit is because Trey Turner and Juan Soto are right behind him. And even if they're not at full you know, capacity right now of what they're capable of, they're at least enough of a threat that nobody wants to walk Schwarber as a leadoff hitter to now set up a big inning for those two guys behind him. You can always tweet us at Nats underscore chat. You can reach each of us individually. Mark is on Twitter at Mark Zuckerman. I'm on Twitter at Al Galdi. I got this tweet during the game from Big Cat Lee. How many points is Schwarber's slugging percentage up now? The answer, <laughs> Big Cat Lee, is 140. 12 homers in 13 games, during which he has raised his slugging percentage for the season by 140 points from 404 to 544. Again, this is incredible what Kyle Schwarber is doing. And the Mike Rizzo signing of Kyle Schwarber this past offseason now has gone from, geez, what was this over-reliance on some guy who got non-tendered by the Cubs, really, to now, oh my God, what a stroke of brilliance by Mike Rizzo. And if you're the Cubs, what are you thinking having non-tendered this guy with what he's in the midst of doing right now for the Nationals? Just an incredible job by Schwarber. Now, you mentioned Juan Soto. He had a good night on Thursday night. It was very nice to see this. Two for five with two RBI doubles. Did strike out twice. Okay, fine. But Soto had a two-out first-pitch RBI double to center field in that Nats four-run second and an RBI double to the right center field gap in the Nats two-run seventh. Very nice to see something we really have not seen enough of this season, a multi-extra base hit game for Juan Soto. And hitting the ball hard in the air, maybe not high enough launch angle to get it out of the park, but certainly enough to hit it to the gaps for extra bases. So that's big. A couple of them have been to the pull side 
That's good. Remember I said on Wednesday that he had that line out. It was like 111 miles an hour off the bat, the line out to right. And I said, I know it didn't result in a hit, but I thought that was an important sign. This was a continuation of that. So it started with him going the other way. Now we're starting to see him elevate the ball a little bit with authority to the pull side. And then the hope would be that the next step is now he gets under it enough to clear the fence. So we'll see if that happens next, but definitely good signs from him. And look, they're going to need it. As Schwarber said, he knows this isn't going to last forever. It's not humanly possible for this to last forever. So at some point, somebody else is going to have to get hot and start to carry the lineup when Kyle Schwarber can't do it. And Juan Soto, like I said earlier, would be the prime candidate to do that. So maybe we're seeing some signs here of him finally becoming that guy again. And it was a good game for Trey Turner on Thursday night. One for three with a single and a couple of walks. So Trey gets on base three times. He's been getting on base a lot here lately. Good to see that. Five-pitch walk, top of the first. Two-out single on an 0-2 pitch in the Nats' four-run second. Lead-off six-pitch walk in the Nats' two-run seventh inning. This is a beautiful thing to see right now. The top three batters in the Nationals lineup all coming through, especially in this game on Thursday night. But, you know, maybe it's not exactly what we anticipated going into the season. But Schwarber in the one spot... Turner in the two spot, Soto in the three spot. That's pretty good. You know, I mean, even if Schorber calms down and inevitably he will, that's not a bad one, two, three punch to kick things off offensively game in, game out. No, and Bell and Zimmerman combined are are looking a lot better, I would say, too. Zimmerman has cooled off some. Bell has gotten hot, although he had to miss this game because of uh, soreness on his right side. And they're going to send him for an MRI to make sure he doesn't have a strained oblique. But I think he's done enough here. He's hitting like over 290 among the league leaders in OPS now for more than a month. So that's at least a, a legitimate threat to hit behind Schwarber, Turner, and Soto. The bottom half of the lineup, still got your issues there. I don't know how many sustained rallies you're really going to see from them. But if you can get four at the top doing that, it's going to make a big difference. And maybe, just maybe, if they keep pitching well, they can provide enough offense from the top of the lineup to win these games. I did want to say this about the bottom of the lineup. Victor Robles did have two more walks on Thursday night. It's been a strange year for Robles. He's had the base running boo-boos. He is back to being very good defensively. He's hit for like no power, though. That remains strange. I mean, zero homers for Robles off having hit 17 in the 2019 regular season. But one good thing about his season offensively has been he's drawing a lot more walks. Like he's not just getting on base because he keeps getting plunked by pitches. Robles now has 24 walks this season. He had 35 walks all of the 2019 regular season. So I know it's not of major consolation. I mean, the big thing is the power, and I I don't understand what has happened to him with this lack of power. But it has been good to me to see Robles actually draw at least a decent amount of walks, at least by his standards so far this year. Yeah, it was a point of emphasis in the spring, and especially when he thought he was going to be leading off. And at least he is continuing that. And even though he's only hitting 229 and slugging 313, 346 on base percentage. I mean, that's kind of what they were hoping for out of him. And it would be even higher if there was getting some more hits to allow for that. So, I mean, it's the walks and the hit by pitches that are leading to it. So that's one good sign. I don't think you're going to see him move up in the order at all until he starts hitting. Uh, and even then, the way we've seen Davey do this, he may just be content with him as a number eight hitter for whatever reason. But at least he is getting on. And like I said, That is making a difference for Schwarber, because if Robles is getting on and say Harrison in the seventh spot, the pitcher can move them up. Schwarber is getting some opportunities with runners on base. Three run homer in this game, three run homer on Wednesday. 
yeah, he's hitting leadoff to try to provide a spark in the first inning. But after that, he's just another guy in the lineup. And you'd love for him to bat with runners on base, given how hot he is right now. And he's actually had some opportunities to do that. All right, so we have all had that dream. Tie game, bottom of the ninth, bases loaded. Well, on FanDuel Sportsbook, you get more than just one shot to swing for the fences. That's because FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free. You heard that right. New users get up to $1,000 back inside credit if your first bet doesn't win, and it only gets better from there. Once you have an account, you'll have access to same-game parlay insurance all season long. That's up to $25 back Inside credit each day if your same game parlay bet falls one leg short. This way you can combine multiple baseball bets for an even bigger win. There's a reason that FanDuel Sportsbook is America's number one sportsbook. The app is simple to use. It's got great odds on all different betting markets, unique fun bet types like same game parlay and always on promotions to let you get more action out of every game day. And when you win, FanDuel will pay you your winnings in as little as 24 hours. All you have to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app and sign up with promo code CHAT to get in on the action. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code CHAT. And games on Friday night include Game 2 for the Orioles' four-game series against Toronto in Buffalo. It is Matt Harvey Day. Harvey's making the start. You know what that means. Ride them Jays. Harvey with an ERA of 780 over 15 starts this season. He has allowed 40 earned runs in 27 and the third innings over his last eight starts. 21 plus and present Colorado, Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, or West Virginia. First on my real money wager, only for risk-free bet. Refund issued as non-withdrawable site. Credit that expires in seven days. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanal.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-9-WITH-IT, Indiana. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-GAMBLER, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. Tennessee, 1-800-889-9789, or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? 
Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. So the national starting pitcher in the 7-3 win at the Marlins on Thursday night was Joe Ross. As we like to say with Joe Ross, each start is like a box of chocolates in Forrest Gump. You never know what you're going to get. But we did get the good Joe Ross on Thursday night. In fact, we got really good Joe Ross on Thursday night. Seven scoreless innings on eight strikeouts versus four hits and two walks on 101 pitches, 68 strikes versus 33 balls. Look, the Marlins are a terrible offensive team, so you should pitch well against the Marlins. But Ross pitched really well in this game. Again, seven shutout innings with eight strikeouts. Benefited from the Nats turning three double plays, which is good to see. We saw, like I said, Ross with the eight Ks. He recorded two strikeouts in each of the first three innings. Game in, game out. I mean, there isn't a lot of consistency with Ross. He was coming off giving up five runs in five innings in that 5-1-7 inning loss to the Mets at Nationals Park this past Saturday afternoon in game one of the doubleheader. But to see Ross do as he did against the Marlins, just like we saw him do against the Giants a few starts back, this is kind of how it is with Ross. And and I guess, you know what, for a number five starter, things could be a lot worse. I mean, his ERA is 412. I saw you note this on Twitter after the game. I think this is fascinating, and it perfectly captures Ross's season. 14 starts for Ross this year. This outing on Thursday night was the sixth start in which Ross allows zero earned runs and yet his ERA is over four. That, in a nutshell, is Joe Ross this season. Yeah, exactly. I was just going to repeat the stat. I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. In six, basically in half of his starts, and he's had a couple others that were one or two earned runs. In half of his starts, he's been electric. He's been Jacob deGrom in terms of run prevention. And then the other half of him, he's been, I don't know, um, Jason Simon Tatchy in those ones. You wow, know? good pull. So, I mean, just not good in any of them. But the hope would be that he can be a little bit more consistent with this. You're right. He's a fifth starter. So it's not like that you're expecting this every single time out, but at least give your team a chance <laughs> when you take the mound. If he can throw strikes, I think we've seen he gets in trouble when he, he starts walking hitters, when he starts leaving pitches up in the zone and getting hit. And when he doesn't have to face Francisco Lindor, that helps as well. So maybe they can avoid that matchup down the rest of the season. But you know, this was really good from him. And yeah, it's a weaker lineup, but you know what? He got an early lead and he didn't mess around. He just went right after them. He made them hit the ball, all the double plays, like you mentioned, and he got them through seven innings. Think about all the pitchers they had to use on Wednesday in Philadelphia, seven relievers to get through that game. And I asked Davey beforehand, did they think about needing to call somebody up just to make sure they had another fresh arm for this one? And he said, no, they thought about it, but they felt like they had a couple guys, Jeffrey Rodriguez, Brad Hand didn't pitch few others only threw a handful of pitches in that game. But more importantly, they felt like Ross could give him innings. And he did that. He went 101 pitches, seven scoreless innings. They probably could have even sent him back out for another if they wanted to, but they were all right at that point. They had the bullpen arms they needed. So that was a big time start for him in a spot where they needed that from him to help reset the bullpen now for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, as long as he's not facing Lindor or the Mets starting pitcher, David Peterson, uh, Ross is okay because <laughs> he had issues with Peterson in that last outing too. You reference Ross going the seven innings. David pinch hits for Ross with one out in the top of the eighth with the baby shark, Gerardo Parra. Did you think there was a shot we would see Ross uh, pitch in eighth inning or were you fully expecting Ross to be pinch hit for in that top of the eighth? It's what I expected. 
I mean, I think you could have maybe tried to push it, and I don't think there would necessarily be anything wrong with trying to do that because those last two innings were really efficient. I think he was at 83, yeah, 83 pitches after five innings, and he got through the next two on a total of 18 pitches. So that's really efficient. But the one thing that occurred to me, and, I, and I've heard Davey mention this several times, and I think it's something we have to remember as the rest of the season plays out with Joe. Because he sat out last year, they are very mindful of his innings load for the season. They aren't saying it, but I think there's a number in their mind that they're not going to let him get past. And if they're in a race and they need him because Strasburg isn't back or somebody else gets hurt, they do need to watch his innings and they may need to hold him back a little bit now to save him up for later on and make sure he's still there for them in September. So given that, I was not surprised that they pulled him. And you may see some more games like that this year where his pitch count may be low and he may be able to go deeper, but they want to be careful not to overextend him. They're going to be very mindful of his workload the rest of the season. Will the Joe Ross shutdown of 2021 be as controversial as a Steven Strasburg shutdown of 2012, or maybe not? God, I hope not. <laughs> I hope to never have to go through something like that again, all the attention that that one received, and we're still talking about it uh, nine years later, unfortunately. Yeah, I don't think it'll be as big of a deal. Actually, it's interesting that comes up because Ross Detweiler, the man who replaced Strasburg in the Nats rotation in 2012, is still in the majors and is a reliever for the Marlins, which I get a kick out of every time I see that. Just That's so random to me that Ross Detweiler is still pitching at the major league level. Real quick note, if the Nats do have to end Ross's season prematurely, maybe that's impetus for Cade Cavalli being called up. Cavalli pitched on Thursday night, pitched for the Harrisburg Senators in a 4-2 loss to Altoona. And Cavalli, 11 strikeouts in five and two-thirds innings. He gave up two runs. He did issue four walks, but 11 Ks in five and two-thirds innings. So the best prospect by miles in that system continues to look really good. One-two pitch in there for a called strike three. Arden Paps takes the fastball at 96, catching the heart of the zone. No argument there as he walks back to the dugout. 11 strikeouts for Cade Cavalli. Nats did go to the bullpen with Ross going seven innings, and there were uh, some issues here in the bottom of the eighth. Justin Miller giving up three runs, leadoff seven pitch walk of John Birdie, despite him having been down to the count at 1.02, a single by Luis Marte, and then a three-run homer by Jazz Chisholm Jr., despite him having been down to the count at 1.02. Oh, two. Uh, Wander Suero ends up tossing a scoreless bottom of the ninth. But the last thing you wanted with this game was the bullpen screwing things up to where the game became close. And God forbid, Davey had to go to Brad Hand in a game like this one on Thursday night. Yeah, that was my fear is that you're up seven, nothing in the eighth inning. The last thing you need to be thinking about is doing to get Brad Hand up. And they didn't show it on TV. I'm not 100 percent sure because they were one base runner away from a save situation, yeah. your favorite stat, Al, even with a four-run lead. And knowing Davey, I don't know if he was officially throwing off the mound, but I'll bet you he was at least like loosening himself up in case the call came down there. And that's the last thing you want to be doing, given how much he's worked, given how much the bullpen's been used, given the fact that Daniel Hudson's still out and Kyle Finnegan's out. Like, just let the guy have a day off. And I feel like this is something that happened a lot a few years ago as well. There was, a, In fact, there was a game at Marlins Park early in the 2019 season where they went into the ninth inning up 5 nothing, and Sean Doolittle ended up having to come in to close it out because, I don't remember who it was now, could not just get those last three outs. You know, Justin Miller, okay, you gave up a three-run home, or at least you're throwing the ball over the plate. The biggest thing is he walked the leadoff hitter in the eighth inning, up 5 nothing. John Birdie, the number eight guy, you just can't do that. Cannot do that in that situation. 
Yeah, well, you go back to Saturday evening, game two of the doubleheader against the Mets at Nationals Park, uh, as you may recall, I'm sure you do, Nats had to use two relievers to close out a 6-2-7 inning victory. You know, Wander Suero could not just come in and, and shut the door, and Davey had to go to Brad Hand, and it's games like that that stick with you of, you know, you shouldn't have to go to Hand in a game like that. You, you know, your JV guys should be good enough to where they can close out a win like this, and Miller obviously wasn't. Thankfully, though, Suero got the job done in the ninth inning on Thursday night. One more item here, and I don't know what else there is to say about this at this point, but Jan Gomes throws out another guy trying to steal a base on Thursday night. The aforementioned Jazz Chisholm. I love the names of some of these Marlins players, by the way. I mean, so random. No one's ever heard of like any of these Marlins guys. But anyway, Gomes throwing out Chisholm on a strike him out, throw him out, double play. Final two outs, bottom of the first. So Jan Gomes now 15 of 35 on runners trying to steal this season. What a job he has done in that regard. And you mentioned Josh Bell, so scratched due to his right side bothering him. MRI exam to come. I would presume we do not see Josh Bell game two on Friday night. Is that a safe presumption? Yeah, that'd be my guess is that if you're taking an MRI on uh, Friday morning, why are you going to chance it putting him out there and letting him swing the bat and maybe hurt you know the oblique again? Now, I mean, he said apparently that he was feeling better by the end of the night but they still want to send him to have this just to be safe. And look, this is why you have Ryan Zimmerman on the roster. He hasn't started very many games lately, so might as well let him be in the lineup on Friday. And it's a righty, Pablo Lopez. Yeah, they only have righty, so they're not going to see the lefty. So, you know, that's fine. Let Zim start Friday, and if he needs to start Saturday, no big deal. This is why you have him. Josh Bell's in a good place right now. You don't want to do anything that screws him up by putting him out there and risking a serious injury. Yeah, and if this is an oblique, uh, that's one of those nuisance things that can last forever. So definitely want that to get right if, in fact, that is the issue. So yeah, Pablo Lopez is a starter on Friday night. He's having a good season. So if the Nats can hit him well, that's another encouraging sign of, hey, you know, the offense is maybe coming around to at least some extent. Lopez, an ERA at 286 over 15 starts. And for the Nationals, it will be a John Lester night on Friday night. So the adventures of John Lester will be on display as uh, John John tries to, you know, you ever see one of those jugglers who are trying to juggle like three, four tennis balls at a time? <laughs> That's Lester when he pitches. You know, walk this guy, give up a single to that guy, but somehow get out of the inning unscathed. He does it game in, game out. It's actually a lot of fun to watch, and he's done a good job with it. All props to him. He's coming off that really nice outing, that uh, game two win over the Mets in the doubleheader this past Saturday at Nats Park. Two runs, six innings, six strikeouts in the game versus no walks. Did give up seven hits, but he only gave up the two runs. He's got an ERA on the season under four, which I think everyone would sign up for. I don't expect this to be a game in which you have a number of clean innings from Lester, but that doesn't mean that you can't have another effective outing from John Lester. Well, here's the key for him in this game. Marlins Park, like I said, is such a cavernous building. And aside from maybe Adam Duvall, Jesus Aguiar, you're just not that worried about the Marlins connecting. So if you're Lester, throw the ball over the plate. Don't give him any free passes. Throw the ball over the plate. Make them beat you. And I think he can be effective And this one. Remember in that last start, he only gave up the two runs because they tried to get another, squeeze another inning out of him and get a complete game in the uh, doubleheader. So he, he was scoreless up to that point. I think he's in a good place right now. The team is playing well. Maybe his buddy Kyle Schwarber will homer for him yet again when he starts. I mean, that was the story there for a while, that Schwarber only homered when Lester starts. Now he homers when everybody starts. But maybe he can keep that going, give Lester a lead to work with, and now just attack the strike zone, make the Marlins lineup beat you. I I think it's a good matchup for him, to be honest. Yes, 
I think it, it is. You mentioned the cavernous Marlins Park. That's also a stadium at which apparently the uh, COVID-19 pandemic and shutdowns continue because nobody is there. I mean, it's just it's it's one of the most depressing environments to watch a baseball game at. I mean, you've been there, so you tell me if there's one that's worse. But geez, I mean, it's been like that forever. It was mostly, if not entirely publicly funded, which is one of the great crimes ever uh, put forth on a municipality. But man, it just is Miami baseball ever going to be alive again? Because it just feels like every year it's the same thing. The team isn't good. The team is in this perpetual rebuild. And of course, inevitably, if the team gets good, the team ends up trading away a bunch of people. I I just I don't know. I, I think it's one of the more depressing sights in baseball, that stadium. No, it absolutely is. It was a boondoggle of Jeffrey Loria, the former owner, got from the city to build that place on the old Orange Bowl site. And I mean, it's always been an issue there geography wise and that the layout of South Florida, it's all narrow and it's all, all up the coast. So the old place where the Dolphins play and the Marlins play, and that was awful for baseball as well, is basically halfway between Miami and Fort Lauderdale. So that's good in some ways, but it's also not good for people who live at the extreme ends, particularly in the city. And the feeling was by putting it close to downtown Miami, you might attract more of the locals there and you have a little bit more of a Latin flavor to the games but they're not drawing that much from them. And now you've got other fans that maybe live closer to the old ballpark that don't want to deal with that commute every night all the way down to Miami. And so it just makes for a bad environment. Jeffrey Loria, that guy, I mean, remember, he was the owner of the Expos, okay? And made out like a bandit in essentially getting the pawn off the Expos on Major League Baseball, then buying the Marlins while John Henry then got the Red Sox. So for a very small investment, Loria gets the Marlins wins a World Series with them, which is kind of ridiculous also, gets this new ballpark built, spends a bunch of money that first year. Remember, this was the Jose Reyes and um, Mark Burley. They spent all this money. Team gets off to a terrible start, and he sells them all. He signs Giancarlo Stanton to a $325 million contract that you knew was never going to last. They were going to find a way to get out of it, which they did. And then after all that, he sells the team to Derek Jeter and company, and makes out like a bandit with like like a billion dollars for it. You know, you talk about Dan Snyder and what he's done with the football team up here. Jeffrey Loria is the Dan Snyder of Major League Baseball, and he has completely run that franchise in the ground and still made out as a billionaire because of it. Yeah, the Marlins don't deserve to have won the World Series twice. Uh, I've always felt like, you know, in college football, they'll, they'll take away championships for NCAA violations. They should take away those two World Series championships for the Marlins just because, just because of the way that franchise has gone. The other thing that cracks me up, too, with the Marlins is they had an outfield a few years ago, John Carlos Stanton, Kristen Yelich, and Marcelo Zuna. If they'd have just left that alone, okay, where might they be at now? But instead, you know, they signed Stanton to that stupid deal, end up trading him away. Give away Yelich, give away Ozuna, and here the team is in, I think, rebuild number 47 since the franchise came to be in uh, 1993. Great job, Miami baseball. Well, that's a Miami problem. The Nationals right now are flying 11 wins in 13 games, 36 and 36 on the season. And oh, by the way, three and a half games behind the National League East leading New York Mets. The Nationals are alone in second place. My oh my, how things can change over the course of of just a few weeks. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the Nats chat podcast at Nats chat podcast at gmail.com. We have gotten in a new shipment of Nats chat podcast t-shirts. Double XLs are here, my friends. So if you are a bigger Nationals fan, no problem with that. You can get your Nats chat podcast t-shirt by going to Nats chat podcast dot square. 
Site. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 1067 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi. We'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. I'm Jason Simon-Tassi for Signature Sports Medicine. My days of playing pro ball, I've had my fair share of injuries. Like any athlete, I never want an injury to keep me or my players off the field. That's why I trust the private practice physicians of Signature Sports Medicine. 